uh, post, 4th of July. Nice to see you guys all here. Why leave Huntington Beach for the 4th of July, right? I mean, seriously, it's like the coolest parade I've ever seen in my life, just moseyed up Main Street. It was fun to be out there with a bunch of you, and we pancakes and sausages and things like that. We, we have all kinds of fun things going on here, and use, use that summer calendar and get yourself involved in stuff. We're, we're good people. We have a good time around this place. Uh, we are also in a series this summer on the Bible. If you saw the mini-series, I just heard they're coming up with a new one. Did you hear that? They're like making a new one. I don't know if it's History Channel or what, but they're going to do that again. So we thought, since the Bible is so relevant to all of our lives, and yet often so difficult for some of us to grasp, did you know that over 120 million people watched that series? Did you know that your friends and family and neighbors actually secretly wonder what's in the Bible? But maybe they had a bad experience in church growing up, or they had a bad experience with a, with a relative that like beat them over the head with it, and so they didn't read it for themselves, or they tried to read it for themselves, and it was just too complex, and they didn't get it. But secretly, all of us and all of the people that we know have a curiosity about this book that's been written over thousands of years and is still read, still most read, most purchased, most talked about book in the history of mankind. So we thought, let's talk about it some more. Let's, let's dig into some of these famous stories. So today, we're talking about David, but not really just about David. I want to talk about the idea of, of the kings and why kings are important and why that's, that time in history is so important. And here, here's the thing. We're talking about this because I know secretly that you kind of want to be a king. <laughs> and some of you ladies are sitting next to a guy and you're like, this is not a secret at all. This dude thinks that he runs stuff. Uh... But that's just the reality. We have something in us that secretly or just kind of curious about what would it be like to be the ultimate authority? What would it be like to, to be autonomous? Kings want autonomy, right? Kings want to be, uh, don't, not have to answer to anybody. Kings don't want accountability. Kings want to be above the law. And there's something in us, and some of, some of you went into the careers that you chose because you didn't want to work for anybody, because you wanted to, to get yourself to a place where you could have complete freedom. You were financially free, and you didn't have to answer answer to you, anybody. You don't have to show up at work. You can work in your pajamas, you whatever. And then that's not a bad thing, right, necessarily. But it can go terribly wrong, and it usually does for most people. And that's what we want to get into a little bit this morning. The ancient history of the kings is one of the most documented things in history. It's one of the most written about, most understood. There are six books of the Bible that just talk about this period of the ancient kings. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, chronicle, talk about, document that historical period, and we are going to just dive into a little bit of that today. I, I also wanted to tell you this has a, like a special place in my heart because my uncle uh, directed the Lion King movie, and uh, he really did. That's not just like a thing that kids on the playground say. My uncle is like an astronaut. <laughs> Oh, the same uncle that's like the king of Saudi Arabia? Yeah, okay. My mom's brother directed The Lion King. His name's Roger Allers, and he, uh, he flew us back to New York City for the premiere on Broadway, and it was awesome. And, and so when I watch that, I think, you know, this is one of my favorite animated movies of all time. But so all this week, I've had this song ringing in my ears, this little piece of it that goes, well, I just can't wait to be king. You know what I'm talking about? There's, I think that that's in you. Even some of you ladies. Some of you ladies, you're, maybe you were coached 
by women in your life, by, by mom or grandma, to, to hitch your wagon to a particular uh, male stallion because he's going places, right? He can provide you with the financial freedom and stability and security that you want. You're still waiting for that day, uh, but, but someone coached you to think that way. There, there is something in you, men and women, that we want to have this place where we don't have to answer to other people, where we don't have to worry about this other people being kind of over us and in authority. And there's just something in that human nature that says, yeah, pursue that. Pursue freedom. Pursue uh, autonomy like kings have. Pursue a lack of accountability like kings have. But before we talk about the kings, I want to tell you about Samuel. Samuel is the guy who appointed the first two kings of Israel. First two kings, Saul and then David. Samuel was the guy who appointed them. God spoke to him and he went and he said, okay, you're going to be king. And then later he said, you're going to be king. And so he had a very important position of power. Samuel was the transitional person in the history of kind of the, the, of God's people, the Israelites. There were 500 years where there was no king. There was just the law and the law ruled over the people. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and then Moses filled in the blanks with like 600 other commandments just to be sure, you know, that we got this thing established. And then he put in charge these judges, these people when there were issues that were a little bit gray, even with all 16 or 613 commandments, there were these judges that could help you sort it out. And so Samuel found himself in this transitionary period between the judges and being the first prophet. The prophet was the guy that, would, that God would speak to and he would go and talk to the people when the people were no longer listening to God. And so Samuel is that guy. And his mom's was, name was Hannah, and Hannah couldn't get pregnant. She tried for a long time and was unable to get pregnant, and it was really hard for her. It was a really you know, difficult thing, and so she wrestled with that, and she went to the temple, and she prayed, and she begged God, God, please let me have a child. Please let me have a child. Everyone else has children. It's, it's, it's shameful. It's hard for me. I need, please, give me a child. And she went so far as to say, God, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him back to you, to your service. It's, which is like way more intense than the prayers that you have prayed. God, if you just get me out of this ticket, I promise I will never speed again. If you just help me not fail this test next time, I promise I will study. And you didn't. But, but Hannah, Hannah actually followed through with her promise. When God gave her a child, she brought that child, she raised him to the appropriate age, and then she brought him back to the temple. And Eli was the priest of the temple at the time, and she said, here, just like I promised, this is God's kid. I'm just a steward. I'm just raising him, but he is yours, and he should serve here with you in the temple. That is how Samuel got his start, and that is the beginnings of Samuel becoming the first prophet to God's people. <clears throat> but before, before Samuel anoints the kings, he had something else in mind. Samuel had two sons himself. And so Samuel, after leading the people and being this great prophet for a long time, Samuel thought, well, I've got these two kids. I would love for them to follow in my footsteps and to be the leaders of this nation. But he had one problem. His his kids were knuckleheads. And to put it mildly, they were really rebellious and it says even evil. And so his boys, even though they came up under this godly man, even though they followed this godly man in some way, they did not follow him in his character. 
and they did whatever they wanted and they leveraged the opportunities and the influence of their dad for their own personal gain and they were evil. So Samuel's plan to have them succeed him wasn't going to work out. First Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders, but his sons did not follow his ways. Can you imagine the disappointment? This is not how I raised you, you know? I want you, you, you don't understand this opportunity here. This influence, leadership, it's a big deal, and you guys are totally squandering this. And so it says that, verse 4, so the elders of Israel came and they gathered and they went to Samuel at Ramah and they said to him, you are old, thanks, right? And your sons are not following in your ways. So appoint us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Appoint us a king. Because when we go out into the foreign territories and we run into other people from other places, they have these fancy kings. And when I ran into this other guy the other day and I was, he, and I was like, oh yeah, you, you, where are you from? Oh cool, nice to meet you. What are those tattoos about? Oh, this is a tattoo of my king. And you're like, what? You, your king, oh, he's, he's tough. He looks cool. He's, he, sound, he wears bling. You know, he looks like he's got, he's got some authority and something. Yeah, we've got this palace and it's shiny and, and walls protect us and everything. Who's your king? And the Israelite guy is like, God? Uh, and right, you know, oh, good. God's my invisible king. So no, they're like, no more of this. We want a king king. We want a real guy with real metal on his wrist, with real crown. And we want him to lead us. Give us a king, he says, so we can be like the other nations. Imagine God being like, oh, seriously? You're not like the other nations. I'm your king. Listen to me. Listen to me. But it doesn't really go that well. They, uh, they want a king, and say, so they said, but... But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to what the people are saying to you. And get this, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt. Even before that, as they have done since the very beginning in the garden. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. Yeah, your kids are knuckleheads, but they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They think that they need this king to feel fancy and to be like every other nation. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So warn them solemnly and let them know that the king who will reign over them, what he will claim as his rights. So here's how it's going to go down. The king is going to want your taxes. The king is going to want your best horses. The king is going to make you build him a palace. The king is going to take all your hottest women. The king is going to make your strong sons sign up for his army. If that's the way, this, this is what you want. This is how it's going to go down because that's what kings do. Kings act like kings and they make it about them. And so, I mean, that's, go ahead and do the thing. And so Samuel goes along with it. And he goes and he finds the studliest dude that he can find. A king that will make the other kings look small. And he finds this guy named Saul. And Saul is 
It says that he's one of the best looking guy around, that he's literally a head taller than everybody else. They're like, that's my king. This dude, this dude's yoked. This dude, I will follow this guy in the battle. You know, Saul, yes, king, let's do this thing. So Saul is appointed king at 30 years old. And he ends up leading the people of Israel for 42 years. Saul, the first king of Israel. And he's tough, and he is good-looking, and he is strong, and he is a pretty kind of persuasive guy. It would be like you in high school, uh, like having a really scrawny, weak team, and then somehow LeBron James transfers to your school. And now, when you used to show up and people would like kick dirt in your face at at tournaments, now you show up with LeBron James and you walk in the gym with swagger. You know, your your sweatpants are up to your knee and you got your Beats headphones on a little tilted and you walk in like you're somebody. Not because you're tough, but because LeBron is with you. Right, And you're going to beat everybody, not because you're great at basketball, but because this dude is going to dominate. And so they think, okay, now we've got a king. Now we've got this thing. We've got, and he looks the part, he acts the part. This is, this is going to be, this is going to be great. So, but what Saul did, what kings do, they act like kings. And he made it about himself. And he took his taxes, and he took his women, and he took people for his army, and he built his palaces. And he rebelled against God in various ways. God would say something, he would do something different. God would want to speak to him, and he would go consult some kind of witch doctor. He rebelled against the God who put him in authority because he got it in his mind. He started to believe the hype and look around him and see that he was the ultimate authority in the land. Kings love to be autonomous and unaccountable. And when that happens, it goes to their head and they think, yeah, I deserve the things that I have. I deserve what I have coming. I am the king after all. And so after 42 years, his rule finally comes to an end. God just can't stand it anymore. He's like, I was up to here with you. And now I'm just like, ah, bubbling. You are done being king. And so he sends Samuel to go talk talk to Saul. There is no warning. God doesn't count to three. You know what I mean? Johnny, get off the shed. One, two. No, God just was like, 42 years, I can't take it anymore. You're done. You thought that this was all about you. And you thought you had a good thing going. And you thought that this would last forever and you could do whatever whatever you pleased. But I gave you a specific order. I wanted you to go and take care of these people and do it in a certain way. And you did the opposite. You're done now. You're done. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul brings news, or Samuel brings news to Saul that your time is over. And he comes because When God can't get through to you anymore, he sends a messenger. And that stings. When someone else has to call you out because you stopped listening a long time ago, it is not fun. I've been on that side of things. It is not fun. When our hearts get hard, when we've just been going our own way, doing our own thing, and he has to send someone else to point it out. And so Samuel goes to Saul and he goes, look, dude, God was real clear with you. This is how this was supposed to go down. And you did something altogether different. And Saul's like, no, 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 no. It was the soldiers. They did it. They did it. He's like, enough, enough. This, you did this. And he's like, okay, 
Um, I kind of did. So how about if, I know what we'll do. Let's just get some lambs. Let's get some really clean lambs. That's what I saw. I heard they did that before, right? We'll just sacrifice some lambs. Hey, hey, um, you know, guy, give me the best lambs that we have. Not the best ones, but the next one. Get, bring, the, bring those lambs and let's sacrifice them here on this altar and God will forgive me. God will, God will forgive me for the way that I have gone about my thing. So let's, let's do this. I, God, you know, I'm just really sorry. Here, here's, a, here's an offering. Here's a sacrifice. Now let's get things back on track, and I'll just keep going on business as usual. And Samuel says, no, no, that's, that's not the way this is going to happen. Samuel replied to him, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offering and sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is, a sin, is, is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Done. And here's what I want us to hear this morning. Rebellion always leads to pain. Rebellion always leads to pain. And the people that are most blinded to this reality are the people that are on their way to, moving toward, or in some kind of position where we begin to think that we're the ultimate authority. That we're not under authority. That the rules don't apply the same way anymore. That, that I want to be here. That, that I don't have to be treated the same way as these people. And we quickly become blind to that truth Rebellion always leads to pain. Jack is five months old, but I promise you, as soon as he is old enough to understand how things work, I will teach him the relationship between rebellion and pain. Because if I don't, someone else will, and it only gets uglier. If I don't teach him the relationship between rebellion and pain, then a teacher is going to have to, or a principal, and it could be costly or a coach will, or an employer will, and things will not go well for him. Or, or one of those guys that drives around with a shiny blue light on their car, one of those guys might teach him the relationship between rebellion and pain. Have you ever been around people's kids that they refuse to like discipline them? And you're like, bring them here. I'll discipline your dang kids. I mean, this is getting out of control. It's just a matter of time before somebody does. They're going to get it one way or another. You might as well train them now. There is a relationship between rebellion and pain. And the longer you put off that reality, the more painful it's going to be. That's just the way it is. When I was a kid, we were visiting some people in the desert and they had this awesome dune buggy. And I was like, I want to drive this thing. And they're like, you're 10. You're not driving this dune buggy. And I'm like, okay, well, can I ride it next? And they're like, maybe. I'm just going to go in and get a sandwich. Don't touch it. Uh, we'll, we'll be back out. And there's like, you know, parents there. And, and they're like, yeah, just, just don't touch it. And I was just, I don't know what was in me. I was just feeling like rebellious, just disrespectful. And I was like trying to tell me that I can't drive a dune buggy or something. And so I just like leaned with my body weight. Oh, you mean like this? And like leaned onto this thing, but I missed the guardrail and I put my hand on the engine and just fried my hand, just screaming, crying, just rebellion always leads to pain. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just that way. It doesn't matter if you're a kid or an adult, 
It's just the way God's wired this universe. What you put in, you get out. When you rebel, it doesn't go well. Rebellion leads to pain. And you can, look, you can look at what happens when people think that they're the king, think that the rules don't apply to them. All of a sudden, all their dreams come true and they're a professional athlete. But they can't handle the pressure. They can't handle having all that money. They can't handle being in charge. And so you see these heinous crimes playing out on SportsCenter. You see lottery winners. That, I mean, what is it, 40% of them file bankruptcy? And that's just the ones who file bankruptcy. Most of them screw up their lives. They just, they can't handle when all of a sudden all this wealth and riches and notoriety and whatever, all their dreams come true and finally I'm the king. But we can't, we, we, we can't operate that way. We get confused and we think, oh, no, no, I, I, I should be, I deserve this. I deserve, and we forget that God is our ultimate authority. So don't judge them. You and I do the same thing. And some, some, some of us are still having this play out. Some of us are still thinking that we're getting away with something because the pain hasn't set in yet. For Saul, it was 42 years. It was a long time that he lived thinking that he could do whatever he want. But then the messenger came and broke his heart. And the pain for Saul was very clear. He loses his crown. His kids are not allowed to be the next king. He chases David, who would be the next king for the years of his life, just obsessing and going insane, trying to kill David because he can't be king. And then ultimately, it leads to him losing his own life and the lives of his sons in battle. Because rebellion leads to pain. And so Saul is told, yeah, you're done. You know, but while he's still alive, Samuel comes. And God says to Samuel, he says, hey, I want you to go anoint the next king. And Samuel's like, um, while Saul's still alive, this is not going to go well. He's already a little irritated with me. And God says, no, 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 I got your back. You're just going to go. You're going to go to Bethlehem the, where Jesse's family is. And you're going to tell them to get the boys together. I'm going to tell you which one's going to be king. So Samuel goes, kind of like low pro, incognito. He shows up at Bethlehem, parentheses. You remember Bethlehem is a place where Jesus was born. So God decided that Jesus would be born in the place where this, original, this second king was from. And so Samuel goes, goes to Bethlehem, and Jesse aligns his seven sons. He's got eight, but he brings seven because seven is some kind of like holy religious number, right? So he's thinking, yeah, these are my seven. These are my guys. One of these is going to be the king. You're going you're gonna to show me which one of my boys is the future king. So here they are. And I imagine them, these seven strapping, strong young men, each one of them boasting like their unique gifting. The baseball player has a bat over his, you know, and his jersey's a little bit unbuttoned so his chest hair shows. And then you've got the musician with his guitar, and you've got the agricultural guy showing you what kind of crops he has uh, harvested. And you've got the other guy and the wood whittler, and everyone just trying to show off how strong they they are in some particular way. And Samuel goes to the woman. He goes, okay, so God, tell me uh, in my earpiece here, which one is going to be the king? And so he goes in front of the first one. He says, surely this one, this guy, is this, this guy reminds me of Saul. This guy is a beast. This guy is tough. This guy is tall. He's good looking. Surely the firstborn is who you want to be the king. But the Lord says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. 
by the way, I'm telling a different story here. The guy who feels entitled, who looks most like this should be him, who, who, who thinks that he should be the next king, who, who thinks that by being you know, this big stud, that in some way he deserves this, that's exactly not the guy that I am going to use. I am not going to have that guy. We saw how this has already played out with Saul, and I'm not going to repeat that. I'm telling a different story here. I'm going to use a guy who doesn't think that he deserves it. In fact, I'm going to use a guy who's not even here right now. And God says, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Did you know your eyes will deceive you? Because we just as human beings, we naturally want the tall, dark, handsome, big king. We naturally think that certainly, like seven, that's like a spiritual number, right? This, it's it's got to be one of these guys, not the eighth. That doesn't make any sense. You can find Bible verses to kind of make sense for whatever you think should be right when you're playing king. And so did Jesse. He was like, the number, the seven, the number of completion, like one of these guys, right? My, my big star, why not this guy? And Samuel says, no. Do you have any other kids? <laughs> like in the cellar? Or like where... God says it's none of these guys. And so Jesse's like, well, yeah, I mean, there's this, there's, what's his name? David, there's, there's David, but he's the youngest. In other words, he's the littlest. He's the most insignificant. P.S., he's out in the fields with the sheep. He's a shepherd, the lowliest job that someone could have. Certainly you don't mean David. And then all the brothers are rolling their eyes like, you've got to be kidding me. If you knew David, he's just this little, oh, I'm going to kill him. Like, this is ridiculous. Now we have to sit around and wait for hours while someone go gets this sweaty mess from the field, and he's going to smell like sheep. And, we're, and so they wait, and David comes. And Sam, God says to Samuel, this is the guy. And so Samuel's like, all right, this is, this is our next king. Oil, blessing, boom. David, the unexpected shepherd king. Because man looks for who they want to lead them into battle. God looks for the man who will follow him into battle. I'll say that again. Man looks for the one that they want them to to lead them into battle. Maybe I should say it a third time because I'm jacking that up. Man looks for who they want to lead them into battle. God looks for who will follow him into battle. And so God says, I want the little guy. I want the guy that you forgot. I want the guy you didn't even invite to the party. I want the guy who's been hanging out in the fields with animals singing to me. I want the guy who's been writing all these psalms. I want the guy who looks up at the stars at night and remembers that I'm the king of the universe. I want him to have the authority here. Not the guy who thinks that they deserve it. Not the guy who thinks that they belong there. Not the guy who's just working so that he can be somebody and to draw attention to himself and to have autonomy and a lack of accountability. I want, I want a guy that's after my own heart. And so God found a guy that he could trust. And David did a great job following God for a while. And then even David, let the, let the power of the position, let the significance of that leadership get to his head. He himself even got ruined by that power. 
And we see it in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David remained in Jerusalem. See, something had changed for David. Over those years, something had changed. He began to think that, that even though it's the time where kings go out to war, I'm over that. I've done that so many times, I've earned a break. I need some me time, you know? I, I've, I, you know the, the kings are out there, and that's great for them, but I've got so many battles. I've won so many things. Plus, I'm a good delegator. Like, I've delegated authority, like, that, right? Go, go and, and lead. I'm, I'm showing that I'm a good leader. I, even though it was the time that kings went to war, David stayed back and did what David wanted to do because what do kings do? They act like kings and they resist the rules. You dads know. Some of you dads that make up the rules in your home, you're the only one who drinks out of the milk carton. Why? Because that's your rule, you know? Your rules, you can break them. So David says, you know what? This, this, is, this is what king, I don't need that. I'm the king. I don't have to follow this rule. I'm going to stay back. I'm going to do what I want to do, which is a slippery slope. It makes you really vulnerable. It makes you start to take yourself out of God's authority and think that you're the ultimate authority. And for David, it caused him to when he's walking out on his deck and he's looking over at this scene playing out and it happens to be a beautiful woman taking a bath nearby. And this is not like a surprise thing. This isn't the first time she's taken a bath on her roof like that. He knew where she lived, and she knew what she was doing, and she knew that her husband was away at war and that, and that she's probably lonely, and David knew that this was an opportunity because her husband's in battle, and so David sees that opportunity. He sees this beautiful woman. He has her brought to him, and he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. But this wasn't just a moment of haste. This was a pattern building. As David started to, to say that, I, you know, the rules don't apply to me. And so he sees this, he takes advantage of the opportunity. She becomes pregnant. So David panics a little bit. He has a, the, her husband, the soldier, brought in from battle. Who knows how long that took? Maybe he wasn't aware of like the nine-month thing and how these timetables uh, for pregnancy. He thinks in his mind, if he sleeps with her, then he'll think the kid's his. So he brings him back and he says, hey, Congratulations on being a great soldier. Here's, you know, a potted plant and a gift certificate. Now go sleep with your wife. But the guy has so much loyalty to his army and his king that he goes and he sleeps on the doorstep and won't go in and sleep with his wife because he says, how could I do that when my men are on, in harm's way? David's like, oh, crap. You know, like, all I need is like a guy with integrity working for me. And so... And so he goes and he sends this guy back out to the front lines of the army to have him killed. He knows he'll be killed on the front line. That was back when they fought like idiots. I don't understand. Like the spears and the, God, you die. Now you die. You know what I mean? So he, so he just sent him to the front of the line knowing that he was going to die. And then he took in Bathsheba to be his wife. David, the man after God's own heart, the man who God had chosen, the man who was the shepherd, the humble guy, the one who sang the Psalms. At a time when kings were out to war, David stayed back and did what David wanted to do. Friends, at a time 
when families are sitting down for dinner, where are you? At a time when kids are going to bed and saying their prayers, where are you? At a time when followers of Jesus are gathering and celebrating the goodness of God despite the circumstances, where are you? At a time when your friends are out serving and making a difference in the community, where are you? In a time when your coworkers are showing up and working hard and there early and getting the job done, where are you? Are you starting to let something creep into your brain that says, ah, I'm, I'm, I could be above this. I'm a little bit different. I want to be autonomous. I want to be unaccountable. I want to be in charge. There's nothing wrong with growth and ambition and going for something, but if it's for you to be the ultimate authority, you're missing the point. And it happens to kings. Kings act like kings. And it leads to rebellion, and rebellion leads to pain. Hillary's brother is a world-class mountain climber. I brought a picture of him just so you could see. I don't know where that is, but he is crazy. He's six foot eight and climbs like Spider-Man, ice-picking up the faces of these gnarly mountains. He's nuts. He's in magazines. He's whatever. I mean, it's just impressive what he does. And he had some friends, February of last year, 2012, that called him up on a particular early morning in February and said, hey, we're going up to the top of whatever this mountain is. By the way, such and such magazine is there taking pictures and making a documentary. You got to do this. And so Aaron, Hillary's brother, gets online. He looks at the weather report and he goes, what are you guys, crazy? They're saying no one should be anywhere near this mountain. And this wasn't like the kind of mountain that the, the chairlift takes you up, okay? This is, this is you're scaling something, and it's, it's, you know, bonkers. And so he says to his buddies, no, 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 no. You, you guys, I'm not going, and I don't think you should go. Every, all the warnings are there, signs of avalanche, signs of uh, storms coming. It's not a good thing. And he stays back. He sees later that night on the news that there was, in fact, an avalanche and that both of his buddies died. One of his buddies had been a safety instructor for 20 years. But, like any of us, when we start to think that the rules don't apply to us, when we start to think that we're somehow above the law, when we start to think that somehow we're better than everyone else or the circumstances or that we deserve to have things our way or that we just, it'll be okay. I just really want to be in that magazine or I just really want to exploit this opportunity or you just never know how much time you have or, or I just want to do this. or I, I, I. Rebellion leads to pain. It always leads to pain. And it did for David too. So David ends up sleeping with Bathsheba. He ends up getting her pregnant and becoming his wife. And he hasn't heard from God in a long time. And so what does God do when you stop listening? He sends a messenger. And so at the time, Nathan was the prophet. And Nathan goes to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And he says, David, this is what the Lord, your God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul, who was trying to kill you. I gave you all his house and his wives. I gave you everything that was his. 
You just stepped in and became king. I gave you all this. I gave you leadership of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I still would have given you more because I am the king. And when you find favor with me, I give to you. I am the source. When you submit to me, if all this had been too little, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, the Hittite, with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. You could say, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was the the bad guys. No, no, no. You put him in harm's way. You did that on purpose. And now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah to be your own. David, you forgot you forgot that this is, what, this is why I made you king is because you're humble, because you're the shepherd king, because you were the forgotten, because you were the least, because you trusted me, because you walked with me, because you wrote songs and you understood the bigness and the goodness of God. You forgot. You let it go to your head. You let it be about you. You tried to make yourself the ultimate authority and you forgot that I'm the ultimate authority. And David, rebellion always leads to pain. Now, now here's the, here's the thing. I'm going to forgive you. We're still going to have a good relationship. It's not the end of the world, but there will always be pain now in your family and while you reign as king because inputs lead to outputs. What you put in, you get out. And I've wired this universe in such a way that when you live this way, this happens. And when you rebel, it leads to pain, and that's just the way it is. There are consequences for every action. I still love you, David, but remember what it was like. Let's get back to what it was like when you just walked with me. Remember when you used to write me songs? Remember when we used to just chat out in the pasture? Remember when we would just commune and connect like that? Remember those simpler times? I remember this one song that you wrote me. It meant a lot to me, and this, is, this captures the heart of why I made you king. It went like this. You said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Remember that before you had all the trappings of the kingdoms and everything else? Remember how you didn't lack anything? anything then? Why are you taking what's not yours now? Remember that? Remember when you said, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Remember David, when I used to just refresh you and replenish you, you didn't need all the other stuff and the people fanning you and giving you grapes and everything else. You didn't need that. I refreshed you when you asked for it. My spirit was enough for you. Remember those days? Remember how good those days were? You said that I guide you along right paths for, my, for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That you anoint my head with oil that my cup overflows. David, David, do you remember when you were just so grateful? You didn't even have that much. You had zero influence except with sheep. And yet you were grateful. Your cup overflowed. Remember that? Let's get back to that. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, I don't know where this message hits you today, but I believe that God is speaking to you. And the reality that rebellion meets with pain is not the end of the story. 
Because repentance leads to grace. And there's grace for you, for me, for where we're at, because we all rebel in some way. But you might need to take a next step today. You might need to rethink your career choice. Because growth, progress, those kind of expressions are fantastic. We need that. But if it's for you to not have any authority, to be your own authority because you can't handle listening to other people, if, you, if it causes you to forget that you fall under God's authority, then you, need, then you need to figure that out. Maybe some of you are in a relationship and you know it's on its way to disaster. You know that nothing good can come out of this. You know that this, this, this is rebelliousness, that this is not what God has for you. It will lead to pain. And the longer you draw it out, the worse that pain is going to be. Whatever it is, whatever God's saying to you, will you take a step today? Will you take an immediate step? Will you tell somebody or will you take action? There's grace. His grace abounds. You can't screw up too much. But the reality is, rebelliousness leads to pain. It just will. So spare yourself any unnecessary pain. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to respond, to listen to you, so that we don't have to be confronted in a more painful way. And God, allow us, invite us to just walk with you and talk with you and enjoy you and let you restore our soul. Let you restore our soul, God. Let you satisfy us. Allow us to come under your authority. We don't, we don't want to be the ultimate authority. You are the ultimate authority. As you invite us in to follow you, God, will you meet us here and speak to us now in Jesus' name?